This week on episode 514 of Priority One, LeVar Burton shares some personal insight in a New York Times interview. There's a shakeup happening at Viacom CBS. Galaxy Quest might happen as a TV series. And in gaming, Star Trek Online's summer event gears up. You're listening to a Roddenberry podcast. Command codes verified. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 514 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Your weekly recap and review of all the major news happening in the Star Trek multiverse. This episode was recorded on Tuesday, June 29th, and available for download or streaming on Friday, July 2nd at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elio. I'm Kat. And I'm Roscoe. No, you're not. Stop no, trying. Not. Stop trying, because he's going to end up doing it to you next week. Absolutely. As I expect it and welcome it. It's That's Tony, right. by the way. That's right, Captains. Filling in for Roscoe this week is uh, Tony Hunter. Uh, Roscoe had his second vaccine and uh, it's a little knocked out by it, which has been known to happen. But good on him for getting vaccinated and for the rest of you doing so as well. Feel better, Roscoe. Yeah, he'll be back on his feet in no time and ready to make fun of me again. Just remember the key word in American is cheeseburger. Be off go. that and you get the American accent right every time. There we go. There we go. We want to welcome new listeners to the show and hope you stay in touch. You see, the show is produced by a community of volunteers who donate their time and talents because, like you, they're passionate about what Star Trek is all about. So, Captains, we encourage you to get involved in our production. We are a community-driven podcast. That means that everybody here is a volunteer that donates their time and talents to producing this show from week to week. So if you happen to have some time and you have some experience producing a podcast, editing audio, you name it, there's something that you can do to help support the show. So reach out to us at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Now, if you don't have time, perhaps you have a few extra dollars to support the show. Visit us over at Patreon.com forward slash Priority One to join our Patreon family and get some perks exclusive to our patrons. And speaking of patrons, we got to welcome our newest addition to the family, Clayton. No matter what, our corner of this community is always eager to include more members and share in the passion we all have for Star Trek. So visit us at PriorityOnePodcast.com and learn about all the ways you can help shape our little corner of the Star Trek multiverse. Whether by joining our team, becoming a patron, or being a part of the conversation by joining our communities, like the ones we have on social media, or for games via the Priority One Armada. Well now let's find out what's been happening in the Star Trek multiverse. I don't know. Then let's trek it out. 
Several Star Trek alum have gone on to lead remarkable careers, but one in particular has been such a cultural icon that he is affectionately known as one of the four horsemen of wholesomeness. Like Bob Ross, Steve Irwin, and Fred Rogers, LeVar Burton is an institution not just to his Star Trek fans, but to children. In a recent interview with the New York Times' David Marquise, LeVar opens up about his career and his latest adventure as the guest host of Jeopardy. The interview is very personal, and Marquise asks thought-provoking questions. When Burton was asked why he wants the Jeopardy gig, Burton replied, quote, Look, I have had a career for the f- ages. Roots, Star Trek, Reading Rainbow, won a Grammy, got a shelf full of Emmys. I'm a storyteller, and game shows are tremendous stories. There's a contest, there's comedy, there's drama. If you don't know your sh- on Jeopardy, you're sunk in full view of the entire nation. The stakes are high. I love that. End quote. So this is a fascinating article and quite in depth. And what I what I did like about David Marquise's approach to it was that he didn't let up, right? It was they were very personal questions, very thought provoking. Um, and Lavar goes on to talk about you know the balance between being a celebrity and his 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 private persona, how he best engages with his fans. He tells a story about uh, watching. Steve Steve McQueen engage with fans on set uh, in Chicago at one point. And then, of course, how he deals with his followers, both in person and online. He goes on to discuss opportunities that might have passed because of other engagements like Star Trek uh, and others that he has had the good fortune of being a part of. So this was uh, a real I thought this was a real personal interview and and, uh, honest, really honest. I have been a fan of LeVar Burton being Alex Trebek's successor since it was announced that Alex was going to step down. He's perfect for the job. I mean, people already know him and like him. People who are uh, in that uh, that oh-so-holy demo 25 to 34 remember this guy reading books to them and it would be only natural that he's going to tell them about the capital of Mongolia. I mean, it's just, it's such a perfect natural fit that will enable Jeopardy to still be relevant to people who, number one, probably don't watch game shows. Number two, probably don't watch TV, but they might tune in to watch Jeopardy because LeVar Burton is the host. I know that I keep on trying to remind myself, oh yeah, when is he going to guest host? I need to like plug in and let the algorithm know that I'm watching Jeopardy without with LeVar Burton on. I need to make sure the algorithm knows that. July 26th that week. Thank you. Yeah. Fantastic. I'm, yeah. I'm there. Yeah, and, and let's not forget the impact it would have for him to be host, right? The first black man to be host of Jeopardy. Uh, I think that representation matters, and for such a successful show that is a pop culture cornerstone here in the United States, I think that it would reach an even larger audience to have LeVar Burton at the helm of, of Jeopardy. That little bit about him, about him analyzing why game shows are so good. I mean, you didn't get that from the quarterback. You didn't get that from Dr. Oz. You didn't get that from from the news lady. I mean, this guy understands how to make television, and he's been making good television for longer than a lot of people who listen to this show have been alive. So, I mean, it's I don't understand why there's even a contest anymore. If LeVar Burton wants the job, just give him the job. Well, the only person I could see giving him a run for his money is Mayim uh, Bialik. That's the only other person I can see kind of giving him a she run for his money. She is not but, as popular as... I mean, I don't care yeah, if she yeah, was yeah. on that one show, but... And give her another 20 years. Right, <laughs> yeah. you know? right, 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 right. She'll right. still be around once LeVar Burton decides to retire. So, yes. I mean, yes. yeah. yeah. She can, you know, yeah. She could be the, she can be the understudy, but you know, she'll come in and sub in when, when LeVar wants a vacation. But, yeah. Well, in case anyone out there was not aware, the streaming wars have begun and are ongoing. 
because now Comcast is joining the battle. It has been said by sources that Comcast CEO Brian Roberts has been wrestling with whether or not to build or to buy to become a streaming powerhouse. He's considering a move similar to how Viacom, CBS, Disney, and Amazon have struck mergers meant to supercharge their streaming efforts. Mr. Roberts, known as an aggressive dealmaker in his two decades leading Comcast, has told people close to him that he doesn't feel a need to seek a merger, but he is scoping out options, and ideas on the table include a potential tie-up with Viacom CBS Incorporated or an acquisition of Roku Incorporated. Now, every network and content provider wants to be a streaming powerhouse, and in an effort to better prioritize streaming, executive teams continue to reshuffle, including the team at Viacom CBS. Another restructure within the company was announced this week that included several promotions. The new executive team will focus on content groups rather than specific network oversight, with each newly promoted executive having green light power in order to keep supplying programming to Paramount+. The reorg will see Viacom CBS shift from a legacy model where networks had dedicated executives in favor of a structure that puts executives in charge of specific genres across the company. This move is fairly significant for Viacom CBS, since none of the four legacy media companies have similar executive structures. You know, we've been talking about uh, all the reshuffling and reorganizing going on at all the big companies for a while now. So this this thing where you get promoted and you're given uh, direction over a streaming arm of the company, that's new and unique. I mean, this is the first time that Viacom CBS has done something different than the other companies have done. So, I mean, what will happen from it? We don't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, speaking of different things, one of the things that was in that article was that uh, 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 NBC is thinking, uh, Comcast is thinking about making televisions now. So they want to have you from like all the way from making the TV shows to distributing it through their cable network Comcast to uh, putting it in your living room on the television. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm suspecting the next thing you do is couches. Uh, they're going to make a smart couch that you sit on while watching your NBC TV while on the Peacock Network while blah blah blah. That's a little So I mean these scary. guys are like I'm pretty yeah. sure that was an episode of 30 Rock. <laughs> <laughs> was it? I didn't it wouldn't surprise me. That that I'm pretty sure that, that was uh, the premise. Oh, it was it was uh it was washing machines or something. Microwaves, microwaves. Microwaves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cuz cuz GE cuz it used to be the GE owned NBC and they sold it to Comcast. Yeah. Right. It's a different 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 take, but yeah, it's the same concept exactly. There are some new and interesting limitations in place if you want to claim fair use as a defense to copyright infringement claims. This week, the Supreme Court refused to review a Ninth Circuit's December decision that author David Gerald and Comic Mix LLCs were liable for copyright infringement because their mashup of Star Trek elements with Dr. Seuss's Oh, the Places You'll Go did not make fair use of Seuss's work. The issue in this case came down to whether the new version transformed the original version enough to be considered fair use, and the court says no, it did not. Now, here's just a brief primer on some copyright law, in case you were curious, because I know all of you are. If you're a holder of a copyright 
copyrighted work, then you're entitled to protect your work from other people using it. Now, if someone wants to use your work, they got to ask you permission, which is known as getting a license. However, there are situations in which someone does not have to get permission to use someone else's work, like if you're a news reporter or you're a teacher. There are some other ways you can do that too, but those are just to provide you some context. The thing with fair use is that it's a defense to copyright infringement. So you actually have to get sued first in order to prove that you're not guilty of infringement. If you use fair use as a defense, you're basically saying, yes, I used your protected work, but my use is an exception to the normal rules. So in this case, Mr. Gerald and the publisher, Comic Mix LLC, they took Dr. Seuss's book, Oh, the Places You'll Go, and they published a version based on Star Trek. Now, it's very clear that the underlying work is Dr. Seuss's book, but the Ninth Circuit went through an entire analysis of each element of a fair use defense, which uh, we're not going to go into here, but eventually what they found was that the mashup was copyright infringement because the publisher and the author didn't give any new context to the original work or the work wasn't transformative enough. If you're interested in other case law about fair use, the very essential case to read is the Oh Pretty Woman case brought against two live crew by the publishers of the Roy Orbison William Dees song. So bottom line here, folks, the legal analysis, which uh, as always is good for educational and entertainment purposes only for actual legal advice, consult a practitioner licensed in your jurisdiction that you just pay for your content. And if you are planning on using other people's work in your own creative way, it's best to err on the side of caution and get a license, even if some guy on the internet told you it was fair use. I, um, look, here's the thing. I got yelled at once by a Star Trek actor who shall be na- re- re- stay nameless. Why? I I'd be, why not? <laughs> should, should, should we, should we, let's, let's play a game and see if we can guess who it is. Yeah. Animal, mineral, or vegetable. <laughs> look, guys, this is your domain. I don't know anything about it. So if you want to have a conversation and explain this in further detail as to why we can have a Dr. Seuss Star Trek book, go. You, you could have a Dr. Seuss Star Trek book as long as it provided a different context or if it uh, 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 was transformative. For example, perhaps if they had set the thing entirely in the Star Trek universe, if it had been a paramount thing and then it was it was, it was a parody entirely in the Star Trek universe, that would have been a different context, right? But no, it was trying to be inspirational to young people and all that kind of stuff. The same job that the original Dr. Seuss book was trying to do, this book was also trying to do just with Star Trek type things. It wasn't different enough in context to, to be entitled to fair use. Or if you had been transformative, if the art style had been different, but the but the uh, words had been kind of the same, or vice versa, if the art style had stayed the same, but you wrote it in such a manner that it clearly wasn't all rhymey and Dr. Seussy. I mean, it it's very it's it's really a case by case thing because as Cat wrote in the in the copy, it's a defense. It's you know someone accuses you of it, and you have to prove why you're not bad. Uh, it, you, you don't know it until you try it, which is kind of <laughs> kind of scary. It's kind of scary. That's why lawyers will tell you, yeah, just this. That's why lawyers will tell you, why don't we try to just get a license? How about we just get a license, then we'll know it's okay. Uh, and people are like, but I don't want to get a license. Like, okay, have fun. Call me when you get sued, and we'll see if you were right. Yeah, it's, it's it can be spooky. Now, here are a few headlines that we didn't discuss, but might interest you. Links, of course, will be in our show notes. If you need a chuckle, a Facebook user that goes by Spock Pointy Ears Vulcan created a video montage of the infamous Picard maneuver. You know, the one where Sir Pat Stu tugs down on his uniform. In this interpretation, though, each time he does it, his comm badge pops off. 
It's hilarious. Go watch it. One of Star Trek's greatest films might be getting a made-for-television adaptation. Well, uh, it's not strictly Star Trek. It's one of Star Trek's greatest love letters, Galaxy Quest. In an interview with The Times, Georgia Pritchett let slip that she and Simon Pegg are working on a new Galaxy Quest project. Fortunately, there aren't any more details to share. And lastly, Noah Averbach Katz, better known as the Andorian in Season 3 of Star Trek Discovery and Mary Wiseman's husband, is running a fundraiser for diabetes, specifically raising funds for T1 International and their efforts to fulfill the promise made 100 years ago to make access to insulin available to all. In order to raise funds, you can visit his website where he is selling autographed items and other memorabilia just for this cause. Remember, Captains, to learn about these headlines, be sure to review the show notes for this episode at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Well, Captains, that's all the news we have to check out this week. Now let's find out what happened in the world of Star Trek gaming. Welcome aboard, Captain. Congratulations. High score. Last week, Star Trek Online announced the summer event ship this year, which will be the Tier 6 version of the Rysian Luxury Cruiser. Now we have more information about this upgraded version of the ship. First, the ship features a Lieutenant Commander Universal, or Temporal Operative, Bridge Officer seat, and is also equipped with solar sails, which allow its quantum slipstream drive to travel at increased speeds for twice as long as normal. Also, the Rysian Luxury Cruiser can be equipped with a Soliton Wave Generator Console. This allows the ship to generate a powerful but stable Soliton Wave that will draw nearby enemy ships towards the cruiser and deal minor radiation damage. During this time, the Soliton Wave Generator is building up a powerful charge that is released after a short time and will damage nearby foes, plus briefly knock their engines offline. This console also provides a passive increase to current and max shield subsystem power and reduces recharge times for temporal operative bridge officer abilities. I'm not super excited about this ship, first of all, because it's a cruiser and I tend to like the smaller, faster ships, but it is a free tier six ship and I'm totally going to get it because all you have to do is fly around Risa for like three minutes every day. So it's definitely achievable and not that hard to get. But uh, I definitely love the Soliton Wave Generator. That thing is awesome, especially if you like science builds or radiation damage builds. Did that come with an earlier mm-hmm. Resian ship? Yeah, yeah I mean, that, this is just... So there is a T5 version that was given away, I think, in one of the earliest summer events. Right. So they have been updating all of the event ships to Tier 6. So this is... I This may be the last one. I could be wrong on that, but it's one of the last ones to get the upgrade to Tier 6. So, I mean, it's nice if you collect all of those ships, but it's also, you know, heavy on the engineering. And I don't really use a lot of engineering abilities personally, but I'm still going to get it. A key part of humanity's future in Star Trek is the end of the scarcity-based economy. Money is nothing and chips are free. On Earth, anyway. Uh, So to be honest, when we start talking about manipulating currency economies in Star Trek Online, it just feels a little bit weird. On June 25th, the official Star Trek Online Twitter account acknowledged that the Dilithium Exchange was apparently not showing offers anymore. But it's not a display bug. There were simply no offers to show. 
any offer to buy dilithium is instantly filled, leaving nothing to display. Cryptic solution to balance the economy? Well, sell more stuff, of course. To sink some of this over overabundant dilithium out of the game, Cryptic is temporarily adding 10 previously promo-only vanity shields to the dilithium store. That sweet Section 31 aesthetic you've been craving for so long? Well, just drop 280,000 dilithium between now and July 8th, and it can be yours. Cryptic's goal is to rebalance the economy without raising the dilithium cap, which it reportedly has no plans to do. On the one hand, that makes the special shield offer feel like somewhat of a stopgap measure. Uh, then again, it also makes the promo items accessible to players without sacrificing on the altar of RNGesus, something we strongly support. So I have a lot of questions about this. What yeah. causes an economy like this to kind of collapse, right? Let's break it down mm -hmm. here for a moment. Mm -hmm. You went into the dilithium store, you mm -hmm. want, uh, or rather the exchange, because you right. wanted to exchange dilithium into or Zen, Zen right. right? To then buy ships or whatever in the Zen store. Yes. But you could not do that. No. Because there was no Zen to trade, right? There was no That's... Zen to purchase with dilithium. With dilithium. So I try to think positively on all these kind of things, but what would cause that? Is it a, is it a drop in the player base? Is it too many players? Is it, it? It's either a shortage of Zen or an, a bumper crop of dilithium, or both. Well, the other issue was also what launched and came out last week was the Tier Six Oberth <laughs> ship and that whole pack that was, I think, obviously very popular, very popular uh, because I've never seen that that you know the Zen Exchange do that. But yeah. but why would that influence the the Zen from Exchange? From what I understand, okay, so when you can, there's two tabs buy. Zen or sell, you know, Zen or in exchange for dilithium. The issue is that one is always one higher. So everyone was selling their Zen for the highest possible amount, which is 500. In order to buy it, it's always plus one, which would make it 501. However, that's, yeah, that's restricted in the system. So it's just not there. There's no there's no Zen to buy because the first available price would be 501. So wait, so people were exchanging their dilithium into Zen so that then they could use the Zen to buy the Oberth? Yes. They did for a while for as long as that lasted. Right. But what what Kat's talking about in, in the capitalist world that we leave behind in the 24th and 25th <laughs> centuries, that's the bid-to-ask ratio, right? It's the bid-to-ask spread. So there's always a gap between what people are willing to sell for and what people are willing to buy for. People always want to sell for a little bit more and they want to buy it for a little bit less. And so when you're talking about Zen to dilithium, that gap is, is, is essentially zero at this point because what the price that people want to trade it at is beyond what the computer will let you do. Right now, Zen is more valuable than the cap. You need more dilithium to get one Zen than 500. People just want it, want the Zen so bad. Again, it could be a shortage of Zen, people not buying Zen and then putting it on the exchange for dilithium. Or it could be that there's just too much dilithium. There are people who are sitting on hordes and hordes and hordes of dilithium, probably saw this Oberth thing, which was, it's just, it's funny to me that started out as an April Fool's joke, but it turns out to be super popular. And so they saw it and they said, now's the time to cash in. And so if they all cashed in all at once, then that would cause this. But the, the remedy is correct. You just introduce a new dilithium sink that you hope is popular. Hopefully people start cashing in all of that, that, that uh, all that dilithium. There's less of it around, which means that it's easier. Uh, the price there's comes less down, of it. Uh, right. Yeah, the, 
the price will come down. Uh, the price percent will come down as dilithium becomes more more dear. But also, I want all those. Well, maybe not all those vanity shields, but section thirty one shield get in my inventory. Yes, Baul shield. Yes, <laughs> I want all those that, shields. <laughs> th- that's so, a pre- that's a pretty hefty sink for dilithium into these shields. Two hundred and eighty thousand dilithium. Right, but think about it. Right, so if Cat wants those things, but her uh, her dilithium balance is a little low. Oh, she'll right, need to right. buy Zen, right. 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 right? And then she'll need to put it on the exchange. And then when she puts it on the exchange, that'll be an offer. Mm-hmm. And then she'll get the dilithium that she needs to buy it. The more people that do that, the more Zen gets introduced. The, the prices uh, come it, down. It, yeah, it will right. regulate it. So it should work. I mean, this assuming that people do want these vanity they shields. They do because uh, that's why I was saying on the exchange. If you tried to buy that Section Thirty One shield, and I have not checked recently, but it's in the hundred of million in EC. Those things are not cheap. And if you happen to get one, you're super lucky. Roughly, on average, what would 280,000 dilithium translate to Zen? Oh. uh, At 500? Yeah, I I don't know. That's math. But the average, every time I went into the exchange, I feel like the average was always floating around 400. No, not lately. No. Not lately? Yeah. It's been been flirting with the cap for a while now. Uh, Yeah, it's been flirting with the cap for a while now. I mean, this, you know, set the way back machine for 2012 it's been up here a few times in the past yeah yeah. um and it it always seems to self-correct 560 zen so it'll cost you about 560 zen for each shield yeah like five bucks which just translates yeah that's about about right i I, when i saw this happening i popped in and i had some zen in my account so i you know i did my part to rebalance the economy and i just (laughs) sold the zen i sold a thousand zen and it it, it disappeared instantly and i had got five hundred thousand dollars for it so yeah that seems about half of that would be about 280 which is yeah that massive check out i know panda did doing my panda bit. did some research too yeah he, he panda said yeah the same thing happened to him he put five hundred thousand or yeah five thousand uh, fifty uh, sorry five thousand five thousand zen gone 90 seconds yeah it's still a thing but and this is this is part of you know years and years and years of, of people hoarding dilithium too i mean there's that was it's probably been a problem that's been waiting in the wings for a while and this is just the crisis that brought it to a head having something that's a high demand product so well that leads us to our first community question this week what do you think about using promo items like these vanity shields to moderate star trek online's dilithium economy let us know in the comments section for this episode at priority one podcast.com or by replying to our social media posts asking this very question for years, the Star Trek Online community voiced concerns that Magic Legends was drawing development resources away from our own big-name licensed MMO. That turns out maybe not to be the case. On June 29th, former Star Trek Online uh, executive producer Steve Urcosa announced that Magic Legends will be shutting down on October 31st. This might not be a surprise given Legends' troubled development history, rough open beta launch, monetization controversies, and recent lack of player engagement. Still, going from beta launch to shutdown and only seven months is a grim trajectory, especially for those who put so much effort into it. With Legends headed off into the serene sunset, Cryptic simultaneously laid off about 40 people associated with the project, effective immediately. Rokosa promises that Cryptic, quote, learned several valuable lessons along the way and will use them to improve Cryptic's future development efforts, end quote. But it'll be with fewer faces around. And that was a big surprise. And I'm really sad for those 
people that lost their jobs. Yeah. But you know what was cool? Yeah. I saw several posts online of, of other developers and other gaming companies advertising positions, which way to step up, community. Yeah. Well, that seems to happen when there's these layoffs that happen, especially, and, I, and this is my view, I don't work in the gaming industry, but I think Cryptic is held in fairly decent regard as far as being able to put out decent products. And so their Cryptic's loss, quite frankly, will probably be other companies' gains. And it's, I'm sure that what happened was is that Cryptic, this was a little bit unexpected. I'm sure there were discussions with the license issuer that perhaps didn't go the quite the way Cryptic wanted or anticipated. And so they were kind of forced to make these moves and didn't have something else in the pipeline, which Cryptic normally would have. They're they're always looking to the next project, right? Whenever since we've been interviewing these guys, they always have something else in the pipeline. And if they got thrown a curveball from their license holder, they might not have had something ready to transition those those people into, which I, I strongly suspect is what happened. Yeah, I'm just shocked. I mean, I I thought they were doing okay. Uh, but. I, I played it. I'm not a Magic fan, but I played the game and it was perfect. It was a perfectly competent MMO. It just wasn't exciting to me, either from an IP standpoint uh, or really from a play play standpoint. It was, it was fine. Again, it's a cryptic product. There's going to be like it's gonna be good. It's gonna be perfectly acceptable and functional. But it, it just didn't excite me, and that's just me. I like Dungeons and Dragons, and Magic is kind of related to that. But. There's certainly a lot that we're never gonna know about unless somebody actually reports on it and has the behind the scenes. Clearly, this wasn't a decision solely on Cryptic's shoulders because if you look at other games that are still going on, they still have Champions running. Right? Champions is you know arguably one of their least popular titles, uh, but the servers are still up and running. We'll never know, but it is good to see, Kat, like you pointed out, that other gaming companies had already stepped up and were, you know, messaging and tweeting that people should apply. According to a tweet from somebody who was let go, a sound editor, a sound engineer uh, that was let go, it was only the Magic the Gatherings team and no other department, no other person was let go from any of the other games. So they got thrown a curveball by the by Hasbro again. That, yeah, that's, there that's, something that's, must have I, gone awry, I bet and money. it's I and bet it's money. unfortunate because you know during these incredibly difficult times, that's the last thing I would want to worry about. But hopefully they'll be able to land on their feet and and they won't go without a job for too long. Yeah, Hasbro has so many irons in the fire. They're licensing things left and right. They're publishing books, and they're I mean there's just they're they're just going nuts trying to capitalize on the popularity of D and D and tabletop gaming. So it I've just never me. seen a game sunset this quickly. Like like that. I mean, look at Star I, that, Citizen for Christ's sake. <laughs> do, do not get me started <laughs> on that. But I mean, but you know, it, this 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 definitely smacks of a meeting that went south. And you know, the, the numbers probably weren't great. But this is not this is not the this is not the cryptic way of right. doing yeah. things. I don't. This doesn't highly this unusual doesn't, this, this, for yeah, this to happen. Highly unusual. I mean. Even for highly, other games, yeah. you just don't hear about that. No, no, this happens all the time. Like for like Sony, when they when they sunset uh, MMOs, it's just like the you know, mass layoffs and all other kind of stuff. But the, we've we've been hanging out with the cryptic guys for years and years and years, and we kind of have a feel for their rhythm and how they do things and why they've been a successful company for so long. This is very out of character, and I, I, yeah, this is this was a meeting that went wrong, and Hasbro with too many irons in the fire going. You know, we just don't feel it anymore. Uh, right. 
Yeah. For pure revenue which is scary projections that... are not in line with our target. Bingo. <laughs> which but is scary, it... right? Because that means that any of the other licensors could do the same thing, you know. But that's again, we don't want to. There's no. There's no point in speculating. There's no point in in you know adding fuel to any fires. Yeah. Yes, but I think the the reading the tea leaves, Elio, you just, what you just said there about the licensor. I think that might have been the lesson that Cryptic learned. That that I strongly suspect that Mr. Rakosa, who we again we've interviewed him a number of times and got to know him a little bit uh and did amazing things for star trek he did really well for star yeah again he's not he's this isn't this isn't a, a wet behind the years newbie or some kind of you know you know some some nutcase it's it's Ricosa. he's all right he's pretty pretty sharp guy i strongly suspect that that was part of the lessons learned is that yeah when you got somebody when you have when you when you make a deal with somebody uh there are perhaps some additional safeguards that we need to bargain for in the process right. uh to so that we don't get whiplash like this hey, uh, I, you guys I, I, might know an IP lawyer who can help you with these licensing that's, issues. That's that, <laughs> and, and somebody who works in the oil and gas field or screwing over your partner is like like second nature. <laughs> so you know, you just hire Cat and Tony to look over your next deal for you. We'll take good care of you. Take good care of you. Those license deals that would be amazing. <laughs> well, that's the news from Star Trek Gaming, and with that, it wraps up episode 514 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. But there are more great shows available to you on the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Just visit podcasts.roddenberry.com for a complete list. Then be sure to subscribe to them all and share them with your friends. But we can't forget to send a special thanks to some of our Patreon supporters like David K. Rutley, Peter Archibald, and Gerald Bosch. And here's a reminder of our community question this week. What do you think about using promo item sales to moderate Star Trek Online's dilithium economy? Captains, it's important to us that you get your voice heard and that you participate in the conversation. Leave us a comment on our website at PriorityOnePodcast.com, at Facebook.com forward slash PriorityOnePodcast, or find us on Twitter and Instagram at PriorityOnePod. And if you're still craving more, be sure to spend time with Winters, Anthony, Thomas, Gray, me, plus the rest of the Priority One Armada. Saturday nights, the Armada broadcasts live to review the latest news from Star Trek Online online and the Armada community, including spotlighting some of our amazing members. With regular giveaways, there's something for all Stowe players, whether you're new or a veteran. Follow us on all our social media accounts for broadcast times, and if you'd like to join the Armada, visit PriorityOneArmada.com. This episode of Priority One is brought to you by our patrons through Patreon.com. Captains, during these difficult times, we are humbled by the continued support of our patrons who find value in the content we produce each and every week. To find out how you can support support the show, visit patreon.com forward slash priority one. Don't forget to tune into Priority One Productions Guard Frequency Podcast at GuardFrequency.com. Each episode, the Guard will take you inside the universe of your favorite space sims, including a tabletop adventure played out by your hosts. And Heroes Rise brings you up to date with the world of Dungeons and Dragons. Learn all about the latest publications, tools, tips, tricks, and traps in less time than it takes to skin a wyvern. Head over to HeroesRisePodcast.com to discover their secrets. Thanks to our audio editors, including Gray, Brandon, William, Daniel, Rand, Alex, and Lennon. Thanks to our producer, Jake, and associate producers, Shane and Thomas. Together, they help us organize and write up our summary of the weekly headlines from the Star Trek multiverse. Thanks to our graphic artist, Alejandro, with support from Jason of the Priority One Armada. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. But most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek community, our listeners. Because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Enemy ship on sensors. Red alert. Ready weapons. Engage.
Transfer complete. This episode was recorded on Tuesday, June 29th, and available for download or streaming on Friday, July 22nd at... (laughs) No. You're so close. You had it dialed in right about a seven there. I had it it right there. You had it. You had the excitement level just right, but the number wrong. (laughs) Damn it. I have to cough now. Oh. Oh. I thought I had to sneeze. Oh, no. <laughs> Sneeze, cough, and laugh all at the same time. I know, That's going to hurt. That's going to hurt. All right. Let me try that again. The fourth Holzman of Holson just dropped the F-bomb. I'm, I know it. <laughs> I know he did. I know he did. Can we say frack? This might not be a surprise given Legend's trouble. This might not be a surprise. <coughs> I mean, the, the cat Don't problem. Die. Here. <laughs> no, just, Drink more. All right, here we go. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com.